Hi, neighbors. Welcome to our Patreon. That's Kylie. That's Mary. And you're listening to this month's Sipping with Snapped, a true crime podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, nosy neighbors. Welcome to our April Patreon. Yes, April, April. April showers bring Mayflowers. <laughs> if April showers bring Mayflowers, what do Mayflowers bring? Oh, I love this one. What do they bring? Pilgrims. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> it never gets old. Never, dad joke. Never. Well, especially living in New England. Yes. I always felt a little more kin to it. I was like, <laughs> I laugh a little harder because ha, ha, ha. I've seen Plymouth Rock. We saw the Mayflower too. Oh, yes, we did. We went on there and you could ask them questions. It was really cute. Yep. And they had to answer. I was like, I do not know this invention that you speak of. What is this? Yes. What is this month's Patreon, Kylie? I was thinking April showers, showers, wet water, mm-hmm. drowning, drown towns. <laughs> Drown towns. I don't think I've ever heard of these. Yes, there are a surprisingly large number of these in the United States, and they are exactly what the title suggests. They're towns underwater. Oh. During the 20th century, the number of towns underwater grew exponentially as the states decided to submerge some in order to create resources for many. Did they make everybody leave first? Yes. (laughs) So it's not as morbid as it sounds, but it is kind of crazy to think, I mean... All the living people left. Okay, that's true. These drowned towns were intentionally flooded behind new dams with their buildings removed or dismantled and their residents displaced. Wow. Some are well known, like the town beneath Lake Lanier in Georgia, while others are sunken treasures in our own backyards. Wow. Over half of the states in America have sunken cities within their borders, and researchers are still discovering and documenting more to this day. In recent years, droughts have allowed some of these towns to reemerge, while others remain underwater. This week, we'll discuss just a few of these drowned towns, some of them even closer than we thought. There's one in Massachusetts. Uh Uh-huh. Enfield, Massachusetts. It's called Valley of the Damned. But it's D A M M E D, like a beaver dam. <laughs> like a pun. <laughs> In the late 1920s, Boston had a serious problem it was running out of water. <laughs> Clean drinking water was becoming increasingly scarce as the city and its suburbs rapidly expanded. Did you know that Boston is landfill? Yes. It was little islands, but they just merged them all together? Yes, they filled it in to create Boston. the island that is today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There simply weren't enough groundwater or river water resources to go around. The state needed a new water source and decided to construct the Quabbin. Quabbin. It's Q-U-A-B-B-I-N. Quabbin Reservoir. However, there was a problem. Four towns stood on the proposed site for the reservoir. The New England villages of 
Dana, or is it Dana? I think it's Dana. <laughs> Dana, Prescott, Greenwich, and Enfield were fully populated and residents campaigned to have their homes and businesses saved from the flood. How terrifying. Uh-huh. When you're just like, um, no, I don't want to leave. Like, what do you mean? Did they get land someplace else? I think so. I think in some cases, and in, I think it depends wow. on a state-by-state -state basis sort of. Unfortunately, they lost their battle with the state, or at least get paid for their for the, for the land. Mm -hmm. And all four towns were disincorporated on the same day, April 28th, 1938. Over the next year, the valley was demolished and deforested by over a thousand, quote, woodpecker uh -huh. immigrant workers from Boston. That's horrible. So they came in to help do this, and they were called woodpeckers oh, i'd call them a pecker <laughs> some of the old buildings were moved to other towns but most were bulldozed into piles and burned the valley was on fire for months oh in all, 2,500 people were relocated and 7,000 bodies from local cemeteries were reburied on higher ground. Mm -hmm. The Quibbon Reservoir finished filling in 1946. It has no flood control, electrical generation, or navigation functions because it was built for one purpose only, to serve the drinking water needs of Boston. Mm -hmm. The former homes, roads, businesses, and crypts. Of the town still lie beneath the water of the reservoir. Mm -hmm. It is still called the largest single purpose reservoir in the nation and is the city's primary water source. If you live around Boston, you're probably using the water from the reservoir every time you turn on your faucet to take a shower or get a drink. Yeah. That's kind of gross. <laughs> How crazy is that? Mm. Yeah. That there's still the things underneath. I'm glad they took the bodies out-ish. Some of them. Yup. <laughs> so, Kennett, California, the boom town. That sunk. Kennett was originally settled by nine groups of Wintu Native Americans in 250 villages surrounding what was then an upper stretch of the Sacramento River. European fur trappers settled in the area in the early 1800s, and it's said that 75% of the Wintu population were dead with disease from contact with the white settlers. <sighs> so sad. Yeah. In the 1850s, it became a gold rush town used for mining and prospecting. And after the railroad was built in 1883, the population really began to rise. Yes. The town was renamed Kennett after a railroad worker around this time. Gold and copper were found from mines in the area, which further brought prosperity to the community. And the town was visited by prominent businessmen off the railroad tracks. Hmm. It became known for its, quote, diamond saloon, which was open 24 hours a day and distilled and bottled its own successful brand of whiskey. <laughs> the town peaked in the early 1900s with an estimated population of about 10,000 and continued to prosper during World War I due to increased metal prices. Mm. Once the war ended, however, the mines were forced to close and the town's population dropped significantly. Around this time, the Sacramento Valley needed a solution. When water levels were low in the Sacramento River, salt water was coming into the freshwater river from the ocean. Oh. 
They proposed a dam that would store water for release during the dry months when the river was most vulnerable to saltwater intrusion Mm -hmm. with the added benefit of controlling the flooding in the winter. Kennett was located along the Sacramento River and the perfect location to build a dam. (laughs) Damn. Uh Uh-huh. In 1935, the government forced the people out of the town with the construction of the Shasta Dam. There's no record of any public hearing to ask Kennett residents their opinion, but the small population of the town was likely considered too insignificant to matter. Insignificant? Mm-hmm. Most people sold their land to the government willingly, while some waited until the waters began to rise before abandoning their homes. Mm-hmm. Kennett was completely submerged by 1944 and now rests beneath 400 feet of water. So it sounds like they didn't tear down the buildings or burn them. They just put them under the water. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. St. <laughs> Thomas, Nevada. Drought and drought? I don't know. I renamed it to Not the Virgin Islands Hmm. because it's St. Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) The town of St. Thomas, Nevada started as a Mormon outpost in 1865 and was 50 miles northeast of the current day Las Vegas. It later became part of a chain of agriculture communities in the valley following the Muddy River, and for a while it was known for producing cantaloupes and asparagus. Ooh, the urine. (laughs) St. Thomas had a peak population of around 500 people. There was a school, post office, grocery stores, church, soda fountain, and several garages for the new invention, the automobile. (laughs) What St. Thomas did not have was outdoor plumbing or electricity. Yes. Yikes. Well, so that's when it was started was 1865. So by the time that it was flooded, there was like a school, a post office, grocery stores. You know what I mean? Gotcha. In 1928, President Calvin Coolidge signed a bill authorizing the building of the Boulder, a.k.a. Hoover Dam. Mm -hmm. So the Hoover Dam was originally called called Boulder? Yes, it was later renamed after a Herbert Hoover. Did I tell you I went on the damn tour? <laughs> no, but that's awesome. We actually went down to the bottom and we saw how the innards worked and watched a video and Oh my god, was it scary? There were 30 or 40 people that died building this Hoover Dam. Yeah. And they just they're encased in there. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, learning about this has revealed that underneath the water is scary everywhere. Yes. I remember that episode of Modern Family where Gloria's like, no, lakes are so scary. I won't go in the water. Like, dead bodies. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> no, turns out every lake has like dead bodies at the bottom. <laughs> Could be all like, well, damn down. My dad went skiing with a friend when he was a teenager. Uh-huh. And the, the friend had a fake eye and he skied and it popped his eye out. So his <gasps> eye is somewhere in the lake. No, mm-hmm. no. You know that mm-hmm. freaked someone out one day. Oh, yeah. You know that that little bowling ball's around there somewhere? Uh-huh. Oh, I should say ping pong ball. <laughs> Marble, yeah. <laughs> it's at the bottom of the lake. Oh, man. This dam would create a large lake behind it, Lake Mead, which is absolutely gorgeous, by the way. Mm-hmm. The residents of St. Thomas were told they would have to relocate and that the government would reimburse them for their property. Oh, that's good. 
<laughs> the filling of Lake Mead started in 1935, and as the waters rose, the town slowly was overtaken. One of the last residents to leave was Hugh Lord, who <laughs> paddled away from his home when the rising water lapped at his front door in 1938. When the lake reached its highest mark, St. Thomas was 60 feet below the surface. Uh-huh. At the moment, due to the regional drought conditions, portions of the 40 buildings are visible of the exposed remains of St. Thomas. They include the old school, the Hanning Ice Cream Hanning? Hanning yeah. Ice Cream Parlor, as well as the fountain, the foundation of the Gentry Hotel where former President Herbert Hoover stayed in 1932 while inspecting the nearby construction project he helped to create. The Boulder Dam, which flooded the town, was later renamed in his honor. That's cool. I'll do the next two. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want me to do the last two? Mm -hmm. Never Sink, New York. Gotham's personal reserve. <laughs> I thought I was coming. Oh. <laughs> Never Sink, whose ironic name is said to be derived from the Indian word Niwa Sink, yes. meaning continuously flowing, mm-hmm. was the larger of two communities flooded in 1953 for the creation of the Never Sink Reservoir. The other na- town with an equally satirical name was called Bittersweet. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The Catskills, which always makes me think of Miss Maisel, yes. were home to dozens of small villages which were flooded to create reservoirs for the growing New York City population. Originally founded in 1798, Never Sink featured all your favorite small town essentials, from a two-room schoolhouse and covered bridge to the classic Little Main Street. Oh. Sadly for the residents of the town, in 1941, the Board of Water Supply made the heartbreaking decision to sink and relocate Never Sink. (laughs) (laughs) So then it became an oxymoron. Right? (laughs) Some buildings were relocated to nearby towns, but most were bulldozed and burned in a, quote, final harvest. Trees were removed, cellars were filled in, bathrooms disinfected, and even barnyard manure was said to have been dug up to maintain New York City's reputation for having the finest quality drinking water possible. (laughs) Don't worry, there's no cow shit. (laughs) Then explain the Hudson River. I know, right? (laughs) They don't drink from that one. There's bodies in there. The Never Sink Reservoir began to flood the land on June 4th, 1953, and took two years to fill. Wow. Many New York residents are unfamiliar with the fact that the town of Never Sink remains underwater because the town relocated just down the road <laughs> and maintained the same name. Today, the new Never Sink can be found in the Sullivan County and as of 2020 has a population of 3,366 residents. Holy cow. Some say when the water is low, they can see things like the town's old bridge peeking through the top of the water. How creepy. Those are the things that like freaks me out. The fact that you could be swimming at the top and there's things at the bottom. Yeah. That we're living. That's why you don't jump in. Oh. Like, what if you jump in and all of a sudden there's a steeple going through your torso? Yup. That's 
that's why they did try and bulldoze and destroy a bunch of things before they flooded them. But I mean, mm. you can't do everything, I guess. There's a steeple. Uh-huh. Now, how'd you hurt your foot? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was the work of God. <laughs> Oh, Butler, Tennessee, the town that wouldn't drown. <laughs> uh-huh. Tennessee has so many drowned towns. Really? Like, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. See, I didn't know this. Oh, yeah. There's, there's one in Alabama, too. Oh, really? Yeah, there's so many. Hmm. And these are just some of them. Some states have many drowned towns, <laughs> and they all vary to, like, how crazy they were. So these are the ones that are like had a little more history to them. Because mm-hmm. for the most part, they were like, ah, there's only like 20 people living there. Uh, Let's just kick them. Out. Like it was a lot of like, who cares? These are like the bigger ones. The state of Tennessee, if you didn't already know, is known for its many beautiful lakes. Mm-hmm. But what many people don't know is many of these lakes have a secret beneath their surface. <laughs> The rivers in the state had a long history of flooding, which would destroy local farms and homes. In the 1930s, the United States government wanted to help stop this from happening and aid the farmers in protecting the farmland, which was also important to feeding the nation. Okay. The Tennessee Valley Authority, TVA, which sounds so official. (laughs) Yeah, really? Was created to build dams to control water flow and produce electricity. Okay. Many of these dams created reservoirs, and these new lakes covered many towns in hundreds of feet of water. Wow. Butler, Tennessee, was founded in the 1760s on the eastern side of the state and was the largest community removed by the TVA. With a population of about 650, it was a typical southern town with, and there's an extensive list, but I think it's fun. Two barber shops, two beauty parlors, Aww. markets. That is so funny. <laughs> right? The Bluebird Cafe, a hardware store, drug store, a few service stations, a few hotels, three churches, a railroad station, wow. Masonic Lodge, a brick city hall, bank, and doctors and dentist's office. This. There's a lot there. Right? When you think, Mm -hmm. yeah. Butler was located in the forested hills of Appalachia. Mm -hmm. So local industries were mostly wood related, including a lumber company, a crating company, a furniture company, and a casket company. (laughs) (laughs) A pine box. Mm Mm-hmm. All made of wood. Mm-hmm. The town was at the mercy of the Watuga River and was deluged so often that flooding was seen as a normal part of life. Oh. However, in 1940, a flood resulted in the deaths of six people, <gasps> massive damage to a nearby town of Elizabethton, mm-hmm. and washed away a much of the Elizabethton to Mountain City Railroad. Oh, wow. So this solidified the TVA's decision that that flood control of the Watuga River was a necessity. Okay. Construction on the dam began in 1942, but was put on pause during World War II. Mm-hmm. On September 6th, 1947. So it was put on pause during the war, but it re- revamped after. Yeah, the war ended in 1946. Exactly. Yes. So in 47, they completed their purchase of all the real estate interests of the town and paid $35,000 for Butler, Tennessee. Holy cow. 
for the whole town. Isn't that weird? We listed how much stuff is there. Wow, I wonder how much that is today. Uh-huh. Actually, isn't that also, that's totally the premise of like Shit's Creek. Yes. I've never seen it, but isn't it they bought a town for something ridiculous like $60,000 or something? Mm-hmm. And it was a small <laughs> town like this. That's such a good show. I've got to start watching it. It's it is it's really good. I I think it, the the hesitation is just that I know that it's several seasons and I'm gonna fall in love and it's a commitment. <laughs> huh. Thirty five thousand dollars in nineteen forty seven is equivalent to about four hundred seventy three thousand seven hundred thirty three dollars and sixty three cents today, which really doesn't seem like a lot for a town. That's still not a lot of money. No. That's not Uh -uh. even half a million. Wow. In 1948, the floodgates were closed and the Watuga Dam and Reservoir began to flood. No. Around 175 buildings were moved to higher ground at a new town named New Butler. (laughs) Oh, that's clever. But most buildings were demolished on site. 735 families had been displaced and over 1,200 bodies were moved (laughs) from the graveyards. That seems so sacrilegious. Doesn't it? But what would make Mm. you feel better having them at the bottom? Yeah, I wouldn't want them at the bottom. Well, actually, right here, some families opted to leave the graves of their ancestors undisturbed. (gasps) So they're still there, along with a reported slave graveyard that the TVA crews never found. Which sounds like it would lead to some hauntings. Oh my gosh, yes. In 1983, a combination of drought and drawdown, which is when they do repairs to the dam, uh-huh. exposed Old Butler. So for just a little bit of time, mm-hmm. Don Stout's shoe store made of stone and one room jailhouse made of concrete <laughs> stood out from the other foundations along the muddy streets, which were still lined with trees, dead but preserved by the water. Oh. How creepy. Like how creepy when you let the water down and seeing a ghost town, but that's pre- been preserved in water, you know? I can't imagine swimming under the water. Uh-huh. If you go scuba diving or something and you're swimming and... <gasps> and then see it. I mean, what honestly blew my mind about this is I first heard about it from Lake Lanier because mm-hmm. that's been long known from hauntings and... Mm-hmm. A lot of them traced down to the graves that are still beneath there. Mm -hmm. Um, But actually, I was at a bachelorette in Tennessee, and we were on a lake, and it was all like, (gasps) woohoo. And then the guy driving the boat was like, I don't want to, like, weird you guys out, but did you know this is a man-made lake, and there's a town under here? (laughs) Oh, my God. And immediately, I found myself like pulling my feet up and imagining what's down there, like all the life that had to be like mm, crazy. Oh, I wonder if there's treasure. I want some treasure. Oh, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bet you there's some coins and... Some coins and some things. And as the climate is changing and a lot of these are resurfacing, they're finding all these knickknacks. And Mm -hmm. there are drowned cities abroad, like over in China and Europe Uh and Atlantis type thing. Oh, wow. There's this one, maybe we'll do a European version because there's one in China that I would love you guys to see photos of Mm -hmm. that's like a Chinese stone palace essentially (gasps) under the water. It's beautiful. Yes. And since it's stone, it's like undisturbed. So cool. Yeah. But next time you're at Lake, there's probably a town below you with a graveyard. (laughs) 
and a hand comes up and grabs your foot. Uh-huh. So there's a reason that lakes are spooky. Spooky. Listen to your mothers. And make good choices. And stay nosy neighbors. Cheers. Cheers.